Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we're talking about the book Killers of a Certain Age by Deanna Rayborn. It's our September book club pick. I just finished it last night, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Before we do, should we do some highs and lows? Yes. Tell me about your high. I'm really excited to hear you talk more about this. I saw it a little bit on Instagram, and I was really excited for you. So tell us all about it. So my high and my lower both have to do with my book. So it's it's good and bad right now. I have the most major warm and fuzzies. So this week, I'm like slowly, slowly and quickly getting towards taking my book on submission, which means taking it out to sell. And I was talking to my agent on Tuesday night and I was like, is there anything I can do to like help the process? Because, you know, I feel like people are excited about this, but how do I make sure publishers know that? I feel like there's some pessimism about whether followers will convert into readers. There's this really interesting New York Times article that we could link in the show notes about major celebrities. One of the key examples used in it is Billie Eilish, who have millions and millions of followers and then write books and then nobody buys them. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure potential publishers knew how excited people were. And so I asked on Instagram if people would leave a testimonial because that's what they do. I don't know. When Grace did the Sephora squad, that's how they did it. And so I was like, oh, you know, I'll put up like a Google form and ask people for testimonials. Olivia, I put out the ask. 993 people left them. They are nuts. So nice. They are so nice. I was fully crying reading them on Tuesday night. I was so overwhelmed. This is just people saying, I love Becca and I will read anything she writes, right? Yes. Some of them were so creative. Like some people were just like, I will buy this book. Cannot wait to pre-order this book. And some people wrote like very creative, fun things. And I am just, I'm so bold over it. It makes me so grateful, but it also makes me really proud of the community that we've built with this podcast. And it makes me feel really nice that other people are excited because, as I will tell you in my low, I'm also having a hard time right now. So I don't know. It was just, it was, it bowled me over. Yeah, people are definitely excited. So you should believe all of that and really take it in because, yeah, people love you. (laughs) That's, I mean, it's so nice. It it feels sometimes to me like we are talking to each other on Zoom because we are. And so it, and you know, like on a regular basis, when we put up an episode, a few people like the Facebook post and like, you know, a couple people will DM me back when I post about it and like say that they liked something. But like, just like the outpouring to get like 993 testimonials that were all so nice in less than 24 hours. I was just, I was beside myself. That's incredible. It's incredible. Um, Tell me your high. My high is I'm currently in South Carolina visiting my parents. They just moved here. They built a house. It's been like this very long process. I've been begging them to get out of Florida for years just because it was so far to drive and we always were driving because of the dog. Anyway, the house is beautiful. They're just outside of Charleston. The place is beautiful. It's right by the beach. I've been like riding a bike everywhere. It's a very joyful experience riding a bike. They also have a very Um, cute clubhouse. It's so cute and it's right on the water. It's like... It's really nice. Just outside of Charleston. So I went there the other day. I had lunch with Grace. I'm sure everyone will be happy <laughs> to know. And we were like, oh, should like our parents be friends? Like, should we set them up? Oh my God. Um, so that might be happening. And yeah, it's just been it's been a nice week. My brother's here from Alaska, so it's been really fun. 
Oh, that sounds so nice. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Lowe's. Yes. Let's talk about the other side of the 990 testimonials about how awesome you are. I'm having a really hard time with my book right now. I'm kind of like addressing what's supposed to be this last set of notes before we take it out to sell. There's one note in particular that I'm really struggling with, just like wrestling how to implement it. And I think I was saying this to you the other week when we were talking about your book on the phone, not on the podcast. It's like when somebody points out having spinach in your teeth, you're not just going to leave it there. I heard that on another Mm -hmm. podcast. This isn't an original thought. I can't remember where though. So it's a great metaphor. Of course, you're not just going to be like, I'm leaving it there to spite everyone. And of course, you're going to fix it. I don't know. I was feeling really good. And now I'm like, I feel awful about everything. And the fact that I don't obviously know how to fix it, like it's so demoralizing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just I'm like, truly breaking down over this. Olivia just had to sit through like 25 minutes of me having a mental (laughs) breakdown before we started recording. I don't mind. I just I feel like this latest round of notes this part of the process is like really unlocked that like panicky needy artist part of me where like you know when you see like portrayals of authors on tv shows or in other books or something you're i'm like that's a caricature i would never do that i am like 10 times worse than that right now (laughs) yeah i i understand you're like yeah you are No, I mean, honestly, it makes me it makes me feel a little bit comforted in a sick way because it is just like an endlessly difficult process that requires you to really face like your own insecurities. How does anyone write a book? How do books get booked? <laughs> the second you think it's like you've turned a corner, it's easier. No. <laughs> How do people have the emotional fortitude for this process? I don't know. I don't know. But I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I think you're getting there. I hope so. Tell me your low. Um, My low is just this thing that I've come to notice about myself, and I wrote about this in my newsletter that's going out today. So if you're a subscriber, you've probably already read about this. But I have this tendency to like think that I'm never doing work well enough. Like I, I feel like I'm never like perfecting my schedule. I'm never productive enough. I'm never, I don't know, hitting all the marks I should when it comes to being like a successful business person, writer, all of that. And I'm just like, if I could just hack this, I would just be able to do it. Like if I could just do that. And then I end up feeling bad about myself. And I've just come to realize that like there's no... I don't think there's any situation where I'd feel like I had hit that goal. Like, I feel like it's, I would just always feel like I'm not doing enough. Anyway, so I'm trying to work on that and just kind of like give myself a little bit of grace. Anyway, so it's a lot. I don't know how much it has to do with like this past week in particular, but I always hold this like completely fictitious version of myself in my head when I'm thinking about how productive I'm going to be while traveling where I'm like, oh, no, but I'll wake up early and I'm going to be so productive while I'm there. Like when I was in Maine, I brought six books with me or something. I read like a book and a half. I like had all (laughs) these plans of how much I was going to work on my book. And it wasn't even like it was a busy sightseeing trip. You know, it was like a relaxing thing. And I was just like, no, I had this completely fictitious version of myself in mind where it was like, no, of course, I'm going to be this angelic, projective bastion of workmanship. (laughs) Yes. No, every vacation I've ever had, every like work remotely situation, I've I've, every single time, including this week, 
But then it's like, even if I manage to do it one day, I'm like, well, that's not enough. Why do it one day? You can't do it all the other days. Like, where's your willpower, Olivia? When yeah. I'm there, I'm also like, well, I deserve a break. <laughs> yeah. which And then do? I'm mad at myself for taking it. Yep. Yeah. It's, um, I'm sure it's just like a product of capitalism and the society we live in. Fully. Um, hustle culture, all of that. But yeah, I, I have this thing in my brain where it's like, I'm very much like I'm not a workaholic. I I take time off. I don't work on weekends. But I almost think that like because I do that, I should be that much better at work, Mm. which I'm like, that too is really messed up, Olivia. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. I can totally relate. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone. Should we take an ad break? Yes. Let's talk about gift giving. So I have confessed my nature as a hit and miss gifter. Sometimes I know the perfect thing to get somebody and sometimes I'm just fully stumped. So as we start thinking about holiday gifts, I want to make sure uncommon goods is on everyone's radar. This is my go-to for all those stumped times. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, uncommon goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. I've said this before, but I have written thousands upon thousands of gift guides in my career as a writer and an editor, and Uncommon Goods was how I ensured I included unique picks in these gift guides every single time. I recently browsed the site and saw probably my favorite thing ever, sweatshirts embroidered with custom pet portraits. I mean, please just imagine with me a Winnie-themed sweatshirt. Truly perfection. So also good for self-gifting. Yes, always. Always about a self-gift. I also love their Uncommon Experiences offerings, which are virtual classes where you can learn everything from there's a Halloween tarot class that would be really fun to do with girlfriends. There's a flower arranging class, a dumpling making class. I think that's a really fun gift, like especially for those harder to shop for people who don't want stuff. Yeah, a gift and experience. That's always a good choice. No matter what your friends or family are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar – Uncommon Goods has something for everyone, not the same lackluster gifts you could find just anywhere. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small, independent businesses. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash BOP. That's uncommongoods.com slash BOP for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. So before we get into our discussion, let's do a quick plot summary of this book. So after decades of service as assassins in a top-secret extra-governmental agency called the Museum, Helen, Mary Alice, Billy, and Natalie are finally ready to retire. Well, maybe. Though they all have slightly different feelings on getting older and hanging up their weapons for good, to celebrate their new phase of life, their employer treats them to a luxury cruise. But on this cruise, they realize that they're being hunted by another assassin who turns out to be one of their own. And once they realize that their own organization is targeting them, the four women are tasked with jumping ship, literally, and fighting for their lives. 
Their journey to survive and fight back takes them from St. Kitts to New Orleans to England and Paris and beyond. And throughout it all, they're forced to rely on each other and the fact that they're constantly underestimated, stereotyped, and dismissed as women of a certain age. In the end, they take down the very organization that was accusing them of freelancing, aka taking on unauthorized hit jobs, and the agency passes into the hands of another very capable, very underestimated woman. So that is what we are discussing today. What did you think about this book? I was delighted by this book. I knew the premise going in that it was like 60-year-old assassins, and I, when I opened this book and I read the first chapter. Like I thought it was one of the best first chapters I've ever read. I was just it was so funny. It was so unexpected and it just was like hit after hit after hit. I was delighted. And that like that held true for me for the whole book. I think this is like an underdone genre but also like a niche genre that I really love of the comedy mystery. Yeah. Like it's like the same similar genre as like Finlay Donovan is killing it. And I've said, I think that I'm just at this point where I'm so sick of a lot of romances and I don't like anything that's like too scary. So it's not like I'm going to jump into thrillers instead. And so I'm just like really liking things right now that are surprising. And this book felt really surprising to me. And I also just like I thought the humor in it was so on point. I thought it was so funny. Like there were just so many little details, like the menopause app <laughs> that, that th- they're communicating through, like the juxtaposition of the old lady things. Like there was this mention, I wish I wrote down the line, of like intarsion knitting and killing people. <laughs> and like it was just, it was so funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some really fun humor in it. What did you think? So I liked it. I didn't love it. Okay. There was nothing wrong with it. I think it's just, I didn't maybe love it as much as I was expecting. There was a lot about it that I really appreciated and found fun, and I enjoyed reading it. But you it. loved Finley Donovan. I, I loved Finley Donovan. So maybe that's part of it, too. Like, I was expecting to love it to the same level, and maybe I was comparing it, and it wasn't fair. I don't know. I also will say <laughs> I'm very affected by how I read books. So like if I read this book in one sitting, I would feel really different about it than if I read it like over the course of a week or something in times where I'm kind of distracted, which is kind of what happened this time. So it could just be that, that I was like, I had family around and there's a TV on and then I was kind of trying to rush to finish it, which is no one's fault but my own, of course. But yeah. Can you put like your finger in love? Can you put your finger on anything that you disliked about it? Okay, yes, I can. I thought the character development was a little bit odd or like mm. a little lacking maybe, and I found it really confusing that it was like I had to keep reminding myself who whose point of view it was being told from. Okay. The latter point, so the first time I read it, I read the paper version and I didn't have mm. any problem with it. And then the second time I did the audio version to prep for this episode and I had a huge problem with the point of view. Really? Yes. I would you would think it'd be the opposite. No, it was really confusing because it's told varyingly in first person and third person and in the third person chapters there's a fair amount of head hopping going on where like it's told from different people's point of points of view and I think just generally I tend to be a visual learner, a visual person. So I didn't have any trouble with it in the um, in the paper version. But audio, I, I 
And I also, when I listen to audio of a book I've already read, I usually am listening to it at like 2.0 speed just to get through it faster because I was like using Mm -hmm. it as a refresher. And like there were constantly times where I was like, I have no idea who's speaking right now. Wow. Yeah, that's how I felt reading it. (laughs) But again, maybe it was because I was rushing or I wasn't as focused as I have been in some scenarios while reading. So that's totally possible. I also kind of wished – I found myself wishing that it was from – two mm. uh, women's point of view instead of four because honestly I finished this book yesterday and I can't even remember just off the top of my head which one Natalie was okay like, so this is very interesting so um I listened to this interview with Deanna Rayborn the author on the shit no one tells you about writing podcast which is very like a craft oriented and um first of all this book has a super interesting origin story I'll just tell you as like a quick aside, but then I do have a point about the the characters. Apparently, this was published by Berkeley, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. And I guess like the editors or like the team there had been talking about wanting to write a book told about older women. They like went to her. They like all agreed that she would be somebody great to do this. And they went to her kind of with like just like carte blanche to be like, hey, we're looking for something about older women. Like, what would you want to do? And all of her previous books are historical. So they're like historical romances and mysteries. And this is the first thing that's like contemporary or like funny in this way that she's written. And she came up with this like idea about assassins. But like, I thought this was just really interesting that this, how this was like engineered. I think she said it was her most difficult. I read maybe the same interview, but she said it was her most difficult book she's ever written. I guess because it was contemporary. Hmm. And she's used to doing historical. Yeah. I imagine that's a really different experience. But anyway, in the same interview, she was talking about group dynamics. And what I hadn't thought of until I listened to it was like the challenge with this specific concept of like, how do you d- differentiate people within a group when by nature, they're all the same age, they all have the same job, and they all have like the same basic like socioeconomic status because you know they have the same job they're paid the same they like live similar lives and I thought that was really really interesting because she was talking about like you know what are the group dynamics of like the four women from sex in the city and what are the group dynamics of other groups of of women and how she thought about that and so to hear you say that you felt like the characters were a little indistinguishable I'm like well yeah it's like it's kind of hard when you can't be like well Miranda's the lawyer and like Samantha's the brassy PR person And when you don't have the visual clues of, like, being able to see somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't consider that at all. Um, Did you you relate to one of the women the most? No. (laughs) Did you feel like, okay, if you had to pick who you were within the group, do you know who you would be? I don't think so because they all just kind of blended into me. I like together. I felt like you would be Mary Alice personally. See, which one was that? I, I literally did read this just yesterday. <laughs> What's wrong with me? So Mary Alice is the one who is married and feels a lot of guilt about not being able to be honest with her wife about what they do. Oh, with the Kevin. The yeah. Cat. So she yes. was like a little bit more anxious about. Oh, yeah. That, yes. I could About see what they were doing. And I was like, OK, I think that one might be Olivia. Yeah, I could never be an assassin for the record. Like, I would be actually horrible at it in every single way. Although I feel like hand-to-hand combat, I would probably be okay. Interesting. The rest, very bad. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. What about you? Is the question, who do I relate to? Or who could I be in in the CIA? Oh, um, 
I would want to know if you could be an assassin, but then also, who do you relate to? First is if you could be an assassin. Of course, the pertinent question okay. of this review. No, I don't think I could be an assassin. However, I think I could be a great CIA operative having a desk job. Okay. So I loved this movie. Have you ever seen The Recruit with um, Colin Farrell and you can see there? It's I think it's Robert De Niro, but it might be Al Pacino. I have not. It's. No. This, um, it's probably from like 2003. It's this movie where like Colin Farrell is, he's graduating from, I think, Harvard. I don't know why I'm trying to tell you the plot of a movie I haven't seen in like 15 years. And he gets recruited into the CIA. And I remember watching that movie and being like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that that would be like fascinating. And I, I like the like puzzle pieces and like the mystery piece of it. I, I will admit that. I'm the kind of person that as a child when I played hide and seek, like I would always pee just like a little bit because I was scared. So like I don't <laughs> think I would thrive in the moment of being an assassin. Yeah. I think I when they were like, okay, we've got to leave the cruise ship and like survive. I'd be like, well, at least I'll die with a pina colada in my hand. Like that would be my <laughs> rationale. I know. I think I have good escape instincts, but I think like the the hiding, waiting for my target part would I would just be just peeing myself. Yeah. Or like trying to remain cool, like when they're in New Orleans and she's just trying to play like she doesn't know oh, that he's yeah. there to kill her. Absolutely could not do that. No, I'd be like, I know. <laughs> I know what's happening. Yeah. No, wouldn't thrive at that. Um, So really oddly, over the past two weeks, I have watched an insane amount of Homeland. An insane One of amount. my favorite shows of all time. So good incredible I, I really like spy shows spy content like it, it, it's a weird genre for me that i really like i started watching it two sundays ago i started watching it on september 11th i don't know if it was like september 11th that made me want to watch it or i don't even know how this popped into my head olivia i've watched six and a half seasons in two weeks it's so good it's so good it's so good, so good. i like spy content too but like it's it's had me thinking a lot about if I could do that and like mm. no I don't think I could be Carrie. Also, she's willing to <laughs> she's willing to do a lot of things. She's also willing to like exploit her sexuality for her country in a way that I'm like I would not. And I also feel like in this book they talk about like how many times they've gotten their ass grabbed and like having to use like even in the first scene when they're flight attendants and they're like yeah being sexual objects to then pull off this kill i was like i don't know that i would want to do that i do know that i wouldn't want to do that that was I like think, putting a too soft a point on it i don't think i'm a good enough actor or liar which I oh guess that's true too. I'm, kind of I'm, two, two of the same things i'm quite a bad actress it requires that for sure going back to the other question i think i am probably billy i am very stubborn and like once i'm in something i'm fucking in it and mm -hmm. so i related to her like not being able or willing to like give this up. Yeah, I did like that. I mean, I think because a lot of it was from Billy's perspective, that's the character that I sort of felt the most attached to naturally, mm -hmm. but not as much as I would a quote unquote main character. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been interesting if, if there were chapters from like each of their points of view. 
Yeah, that's why I think if there were just two, you could have made them like foils of each other personally, but then they have the same job connecting them. But mm-hmm. then I see the need to have four as well. Now, let's let's presume that despite how bad you would be, you are a CIA agent yes, or okay. an assassin. First of all, I would have an incredible outfit. Let's just I, – I know I would have to be like incognito, but I would just want like yeah. a full leather cat suit. Yeah. That wouldn't help with this nervous sweating. Just, no, it would, would be like Ross terrible. in that episode of Friends where he can't get his leather pants back on. It would be miserable and I would be like squeaking everywhere. But <laughs> you'd look great. But if slow motion, it would be cool. You'd look great. So, okay, you're you're now an assassin. Could you keep a secret this big from Jake? No. Absolutely not. Okay, my follow-up question was what was gonna be your cover, but you've already just you can't. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't do it. It would feel so wrong what if it turns out that jake's an assassin and you don't know maybe that's why you've been having these dreams about jake gyllenhaal that would be i would be like i don't know if i can be with you anymore because you've been lying to me our whole relationship like that is actually one thing that i sort of was like what in this book how akiko i believe Mm -hmm. that was her wife's name was like okay i'm mad but i'm not that mad i was like i would be i would be like who am i who are we how have we gotten this far? It it seemed to be kind of like, yeah, she's a little bit put off by it, but not so much. I kind of can see how she would just be relieved to know because it seemed like she was like, she knew something was wrong. And she was like, is she having an affair? Is she, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what are there that there were, I think there would be some element of relief to just be like cut into the secret. If you'd been, that's true. If you'd been, spinning your wheels for that long i don't know that i would make it to that point to find out i would probably just be so pissed about the secrecy beforehand (laughs) yeah i'd cut i'd cut and run then but you know uh i did really like the all the commentary on ageism throughout i thought that was really smart and really challenged how i thought about main characters in a way that i haven't been challenged to before what did you think about all of that I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. I feel like there's a genre of books that deal with like kind of batty, kooky, but ultimately wise older women. Like I'm thinking of um, matchmaking for beginners or something like that. Like I feel like that character has been like well-treaded where it's like they're old, but they know what they're talking about and they have this like mystical wisdom. But I feel like this was very much like these women are capable. They could kill you. They are strong, resourceful. Like, I just, I thought it was such an interesting portrayal. And I also thought it was really interesting thinking about their various romantic lives too, where it was like, I don't exactly know how to put it, where it's like, what toll has this taken? I thought was really interesting to explore too. I, I really enjoyed the, the commentary on ageism. And I also, I kind of really liked the portrayal of menopause too. I feel like to me, menopause is this like huge, great unknown. Like if somebody asked me right now to explain menopause, like I don't think I could. Where I'm like, it happens to old ladies and they they get hot for a while and they don't get their periods anymore. And uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so I. Yeah. I liked that this was just like addressing a lot of things that like are swept under the rug. I agree. I I thought. I've talked about this before, but when I've read books that feature plus size characters, it really forces me to 
like evaluate how I view my like my default brain when I read books like oh my default goes to a thin character and so when I was reading this book I found myself imagining certain scenes as I read and I was like oh I'm actually picturing like a 30 year old woman when no these are 60 year old women and they're just as worthy as being main characters but you know my brain slash society in general does not operate that way and so I was like ah, okay, I'm as susceptible to these sort of default settings as anyone else. I would really love to hear from a six-year-old woman or so. I should have had my mom read this and then she could have <laughs> come into the podcast. Oh, that would have been so fine. I think this book did it perfectly, but I think there is a fine line when you're writing about a group that is like underrepresented in, in books or movies or whatever, where you're talking about like the one thing that people sort of stereotype like when people think of women in their 60s they think of hot flashes or or Mm -hmm. menopause or whatever so i don't know i i I didn't think it focused too much on that at all but i'd I'd wonder if like a six-year-old woman would say well like i wish they they didn't talk about it as much or i wish it wasn't a thing because that's not like you know all that we are sort of thing but i thought it was a really good balance for me but that's just me as a 30 year old almost 30. (laughs) i would love to hear your mom's opinion on this i also really loved that they like embraced these stereotypes about themselves to then subvert expectations where you know they would be like well there's like an early scene where one of them's having a hot flash and she's like go stand in the freezer she's like if anyone says anything just pretend you're lost like nobody will question the old lady i thought it was really funny when they were aware of these stereotypes and they were like well we're gonna just use this to do whatever the hell we want yeah also everyone talked about sex and like that was Mm -hmm. the thing i thought was good yeah I also, I mean, I thought this book was pretty pacey. Like, it really moved, and it wasn't over long, which I really liked. And I love the travel aspect of this book, that we were, like, going to different places. I loved that so much as well. My favorite part was the part in the catacombs. Have you ever been? No. I haven't been to the catacombs in Paris. I, I have been in catacombs. I want to say there might be some in Rome, too, and that's where I've been. I think that sounds right. But I thought that was fascinating. I do not think I could write a book like this. This book must have required so much research, both on terms of like, how do you kill somebody? But then also like, how do you get into somebody's house in Paris without being detected? Like, I was just floored by the amount of research that must have gone into this. Yeah, it was really well done. I I also loved the beginning of On the Cruise. I thought it was really like atmospheric and I could totally picture everything. That was my favorite. Actually, unexpectedly, one of my favorite parts was the travel logs of it all. Yeah, yeah. I also really loved the the creation of the museum, mm-hmm. which is like the fake organization that they work for. I always think that like thinking about niche hierarchies, the social hierarchies of niche groups is really interesting. I loved hearing about how the museum was organized, that it was like there's provenance and then there's acquisitions and there's exhibitions. Like I thought that was just, it was so fun and creative. I love the museum terminology, but then also just to hear about the infighting of like who they were looking down on or who was aligned. Mm-hmm. And I also, it was so interesting and creative that, you know, it's like, okay, they're going to be assassins. How do we make this okay? And it was like the highest mark of achievement was killing a Nazi where it's <laughs> yeah. like, okay, well, who, who could have a problem with that? Yeah, I actually did read a Goodreads review where someone was like, well, it just doesn't work because, you know, assassins are morally void, so you can't relate to any of the characters or like them, which was kind of, I I guess I get it, but to me it was so campy that I was like, yeah, exactly. I don't, (laughs) I mean, I didn't take it seriously. 
Also, like, the museum's mission was, like, kind of above reproach, where it was like, we're only killing bad guys. Right. Yeah. And they do all this research about people. Yeah. Let's take an ad break. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. A thing to know about me is that my natural inclination in pretty much every situation is to come up with a plan or a list to fix any problem. Have a work issue? Make a list. Not feeling great about life? Make a list. Want to be better at writing or working out or being a good friend? Make a list. There's just something about solving problems with neat step-by-step solutions that feels good to me, but that doesn't always mean I can control the outcome. This is why I love therapy. It helps me solve problems in a way that goes so much deeper than just making a list and checking tasks off. I totally am with you on being a list-oriented person, and when I can't figure out a problem, it just it just makes me that much more anxious about it. See where I am currently with my book. And A therapist can help you become a better problem solver or help you see something from a totally different angle that you're not seeing it from. If you're thinking about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You get matched with the therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. This is so key because finding a therapist that you really connect with is the only way to get the most out of the experience. My therapist regularly helps me feel like I have the tools and resources to conquer anything and everything in life from huge obstacles to -to day-to-day stressors. Sometimes even talking through my ideas for solutions to problems with my therapist can help me feel that much more confident about taking on life and checking off that list that I've already made. When you want to be a problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. Do you think that groups like this exist? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I there's definitely like military for hire groups that I think are doing assassinations. Yeah. Are there like high minded ones? I don't know. Is Jake part of one? I don't know. He's not going to tell us. Do they wear leather cat suits? No. Okay. Well, no. that's just disappointing. No. So I thought the the point about the art heist plot at the end was interesting. It felt a little thrown in to me, <laughs> but what? how did you feel about it? I always love an art heist plot. That is one of my niche interests is like anything having to do with an art heist. So I was so into it. I also was feeling very smart as I was reading this because did you read Fake by Erica Katz? No. That is also about, I guess it's more about art forgery than art heist, but free ports are a big topic in that book and it goes into it much more exhaustively than it does in this book. And so I felt like really smart knowing all about free ports from having read that book. It's funny you say that because I also felt very smart because I watched this documentary called The Lost Leonardo. Have you ever seen it? Mm -mm. Essentially, it's about a painting that was supposedly painted by Leonardo da Vinci that sort of surfaced, I think, like 10 years ago, maybe. Anyway, it goes a lot into like the underbelly of the art world and a lot about free ports that I had no idea about. So they kind of scare me. Like it's, It's a very dark world, actually. I think it's fascinating. Did you listen to Last Scene? No. It's a podcast about the 
robbery of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Oh, I watched a documentary on it. Which I find fascinating. Yeah. But there was a lot in there also about how drug cartels and various sorts of bad people use paintings as as payment and collateral because it's not traceable. Yeah. And I was like, this is fascinating. It's It's just this whole other universe. Yeah, but it's like, trafficking cocaine let's say and like you're paying for it with like a leonardo da vinci painting like what (laughs) the world is so weird i know i i need to watch this documentary i find all this art high stuff like just so fascinating it's like it's exactly my kind of thing because it's like thrillery but not scary yeah yeah you're right it's perfect we haven't talked about the old person romance i loved the taverner Billy plotline. This was my favorite part. Okay, good. And I was really upset there wasn't more. Ugh, I was too. I was too. I wanted them to end up together. Yeah. I loved it. It felt really realistic, though, where it was like, they messed it up. He was really happy with his life and like went on to have kids and grandkids. Yeah, I thought that was it was realistic, but also it made it really romantic to me. Yeah. I, I really liked it a lot. I, I loved this plotline. Yeah, lots of chemistry. It was really good. It was so good. How did you you feel about the ending? Jinx. (laughs) Um, Mixed feelings, honestly. Mixed feelings. So did I guess who was behind it? No. Was I trying to guess? Also no. I'm really bad at guessing who does things. Like, I feel like Grace really prides herself on, like, guessing the twist. And I'm like, I just want to be surprised. So I'm, like, Mm -hmm. usually not really trying to. Like, if I can guess the twist, you've done something really wrong. (laughs) Because I'm not trying. Yeah, I was like, okay, this all makes sense. And I was like, oh, haha, the guy that they thought was going to be on their side turned out to be the guy who did it. And I was like, great. One thing that I thought was really interesting that was not addressed whatsoever was in going on this quest, they ironically end up doing the thing that they are accused of. So they're accused of killing outside of like their assignments or like of like freelancing quote unquote and they're like we would never freelance and then they go on this spree killing people who they were not assigned to kill and so they ironically end up incriminating themselves some way and i'm like morally how do we feel about the fact that you went and killed these people who did not turn out to be the bad guys yeah i uh, was generally confused about the ending. And again, I did read it quickly. So there were some things I probably missed, but I was like, it felt weird to me. Like, I felt like I was missing something throughout the whole thing. And maybe I was, but it just felt a little odd. Well, the, the I think the part that wasn't super well explained was the Vance slash Martin team up. Or like, was it a team up? Or was Martin just now his goon? Like, I, I wasn't okay. really clear on what the power dynamic was between them. Same, originally, same. it was like just Martin was trying to take them out to clear the road for himself. Great, mm-hmm. understand that. Then Vance found out and was like, you can't take me out. I'm I'm going to be the head of this. I'm going to be the singular person in control. But then I'm like, okay, so why didn't he either A, kill Martin or B, expel him from this? So like, yeah. what's the relationship between that? I didn't understand. Yeah. I feel like this book was almost like the reason I struggled connecting with it was like it, it it was more theme driven than it was character driven or plot driven, which I think led to a lot of great scenes. But I don't know, for me, it didn't all connect for some reason. I thought it was very plot driven until the end. Yeah, I mean, it. I guess it was pacey for me, but not I wanted to get to the end and be, have there be some big twist where I was like, oh, like, 
it's all making sense. Or mm-hmm. I, I kind of expected one of them to be like in on it. Mm, I did not. Which I kind of would have liked because, Ooh. I mean, they're assassins. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that one of them is like kind yeah. of, you know, shady would yeah. make sense. Anyway. There was also, it's a pet peeve. I was willing to accept it in this type of book. You get to the end and then Naomi gives this like long monologue about how all of this happened. Like I hate when you don't discover the things through the characters and like somebody just has to explain everything that happened at the end. Yeah. I guess because this isn't truly a thriller, I wasn't super bothered by it because I was reading more for like the the enjoyment, not because I was like, this is a great mystery that I like I need to solve. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that did irk me. Yeah. I'll tell you something I loved about the ending. Oh, please do. I loved non-dairy creamers role in being a weapon. Apparently, I did not know that non-dairy creamer is flammable. I'm still not sure if it's only the powder kind or if it's the liquid kind too. I it did not know I've be been harboring powder, a weapon. Right? I don't know. Do I just always have a weapon in my fridge at all times with my coffee mate creamer? I think it's the powder because it's less common. Okay. Well, I mean, we could try it. It's explosive. I don't want to try it. (laughs) Well, I mean, why not? Science experiment. I don't think that I'm like very good with um, like I wouldn't trust myself to shoot a gun. I would somehow end up shooting myself by accident like the same way. Like I I should not play with non-dairy creamer. Yeah, I, I, I think that's safe. I think that's safe. But I did like that it was it had its moment in the sun in this way. Did you catch the second author's note at the end? Yeah. Did I miss something there? Well, the first note is like, I've changed the details to like protect the guilty or something. Right. And I can't remember what the second one said, but I like thought it was cute. I was like, oh, it comes back around. The second one was, I don't know, it's just, for some reason, maybe I just didn't connect it with the first. I don't know. It just seemed unnecessary to me, and hmm. I don't know. Anyway. I enjoyed this book so much, but even more than I think it was good as a book, I think it would be phenomenal as a movie. I agree. I think it'd be better as a movie. I don't know opinion. what its odds of are getting made, because like I feel like to do it right, you would need to have such a star-studded cast, and it would need to be so expensive. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but okay. Here's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing Meryl Streep as Helen. Good. The, like, cold, icy, widowed blonde. I'm picturing Diane Keaton as Mary Alice. Like, I think Diane Keaton has, like, kind of a nervous quality about her sometimes that, like, I could see her playing that character well. I'm picturing Susan Sarandon as Billy. I see that. Like, kind of, like, I give no fucks. I had the hardest time with Natalie. So Natalie is, first of all, described as being really short, but she's also the one who's, like, very sexy and sexual and doesn't believe in monogamy. And this is not quite right because she's also described as being a Russian Jew. So this casting doesn't totally make sense, but I'm kind of picturing Goldie Hawn. That's good. I Yeah, those are all great. Because she has, like, the seductress thing. I forgot about that. See, that's it, it all blends together. Why is that? It was probably a me problem. But I love all of those picks. I could see this being, if they cast it right, I think it would still be good with like no-name actresses as the casting. But I think if you really were like, hey, we're doing Ocean's Eleven with old ladies and you got the creme de la creme of like older actresses, oh, I think this could be so good. I agree. I would definitely see this 100%. Oh my God. I hope that it is being developed. I didn't actually do any research to see. I'm sure it is. It The reviews are... 
out of this world, which is why I think maybe it's just a me thing that I didn't connect with it. Because I looked on Goodreads and like I, I struggled to find anything even remotely negative. I think sometimes when you're rushing to read a book, like for I've had this experience where like for the podcast, you're like, I got to finish because I'm mm-hmm. bored about it. Like it can change the experience where like I read this in July or August just like leisurely. And I was just so delighted by this thing. Like it just felt, you know, sitting there with popcorn, being at the movies, being entertained. (laughs) Like, did I learn a lot? No. Like, was it earth shattering? No. But I was like fully entertained. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think sometimes the end run at finishing a book for the podcast or like doing it under duress can like change my experience of a book too. Yeah. That's kind of why I always take reviews with like a grain of salt for anything because I'm like, I have no idea how you read this book and that will change everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like, I'll talk about it in my, in the end matter, but like I'm having a really hard time reading right now generally just because of my stuff with books. So that is no commentary on like the quality of the books I'm reading. I'm just like in a weird place right now. Yeah. Understandable. Let's get to some end matter. Tell me what you're obsessed with right now. Okay, I told you about my sweat shorts that I got from Lou and Gray a couple of weeks ago, but I also got sweatpants, and it wasn't weather appropriate yet, but I got, it's called their Signature Soft Sweatpants. They're joggers. They're, like, cute. Like, I would wear them out of my house to run errands versus I feel like the rest of my sweatpants that I own are, like, give up sweatpants. Like, they're, like, pretty unattractive. Like, I love my Old Navy pandemic pants, but, like, if I am outside in them... Pandemic pants? I am either... Trademark yeah, that's that. What, oh, oh, you don't know about my pandemic pants? I don't... Uh, did something happen in them? What? No, I just was, like, a really big advocate of them. They're, like, these Old Navy kind of, like, hammer pant-style ty- sweatpants. They're made of really soft material. Oh. But, like, if I ever went outside in them, it would either mean that I was, like, ill and needing to go... To, like get supplies or that like there's a fire somebody should check on me okay versus these are like sweatpants that i could like go to the grocery store in. like they're cute so i really like them they're fairly light which i like like they're not super middle of winter sweatpants so i'm getting a lot of use out of them in the fall and i bought the matching sweatshirt so i'm like oh it's like a cute little set I I actually have these sweatpants and I love them as well. I've had them for years. Oh. Or at least a version of them with their signature soft fabric. Very very comfy. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. I just like that they're slightly tailored in a way, I guess, that like look less dumpy than a lot of sweatpants that I own. Yeah. It's nice when you can go out in the soft pants. Mhm. Cuz usually that would be like yoga pants for me, but sometimes you don't want to wear yoga pants. Nice. Sometimes you don't want to be constricted. Exactly. Exactly. Tell me about yours. It looks like you also have a clothing one. Yes. Uh, My obsession is another piece of soft clothing. It's this sweater dress from Free People. I don't remember the exact style name, but it will be in the show notes. I got it as sort of like a a lounge beach dress to wear when we're in the Outer Banks for the next two weeks. But I wore it on a plane and it was like the perfect travel outfit. It was just really breezy, really like comfortable, but also warm, but not long sleeves. It's a short sleeve sweater dress. It's like button up. Uh, I really love it. I really love it. Highly recommend it. I saw this on your story 
and I got very close to ordering it. I don't know if the black is available. It comes in a lot of different colors. And it's like, the thing I love about it is I feel like most sweater dresses are kind of bodycon or they like cling, but this is a like a ribbed material. So it just looks really nice. I don't feel like I'm like exposed, <laughs> but it feels really put together. So yeah, I like it. It looked really good on you. Thank I you. got very close to ordering it. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. What are you reading right now? I told you, I'm like allergic to reading. I mean, the real answer is by the end of this month, I'll have probably read my own book like eight to 10 times. So I'm reading my own book over and over and over as I make edits. Um, I like can't touch anything in the romance genre. Not that mine is a romance, but just like I can't touch anything that is like too similar to mine. And so I put aside a bunch of books that are not bad in any way and I want to go back to, but I just like couldn't get into like I was trying to read more literary books and I was just like no I need something that's like quick so anyway I started in my dreams I hold a knife by Ashley Winstead I just I liked her so much when she came on the podcast and I love a prep school murder so this feels like the more grown up it's a college murder so um like 100 pages in and I'm really enjoying it reading it super slowly like I just I feel like I can't get into a book right now like it stresses me out to read more than like a chapter or two so just kind of slowly making my way through. Yeah, I get that. I've been there many times over the past six months, I think. What about you? What are you reading? So I'm not really reading anything at the moment. I just finished Killers of a Certain Age. And I literally packed for this upcoming trip to the Outer Banks, which I'm going to be working, but also with family. It's my favorite place in the world to read. But I think I've packed like 20 books. So I'm hoping... I saw you had like a, a huge plastic Tupperware container well, my, that was just like My books. mom and my aunt requested that I bring books for them too. So... I'm doing my duty. Okay. And uh, so hopefully I read more. We'll see. Well, let's talk about our book club pick for October. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So for our October book club pick, we are doing a book that I just read. Uh, if you listen to our episode with Jennifer Weiner, she actually recommended this book. It's When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Meadoff. Right off the bat, we should warn you, there are definitely a lot of triggers for this book, particularly when it comes to sexual assault and rape. So avoid that if if that doesn't sound comfortable or okay for you. Uh I recently read this book and my very, very first thought was I need to talk about this with someone and this is going to be an incredibly divisive book, but there's lots to unpack. I would say it's on the thriller side of things. It's very pacey. It has a lot of courtroom drama, but it's not gory. It's not murdery, but it's still thrillery. I don't think we've done a full on thriller since February, maybe when we did Greenwich Park. Have we done yeah. one since you've been a host? I don't think so. I feel intimidated by it because I'm such a thriller person. But this is a really different type of thriller. And uh, yeah, this book is about an extremely wealthy family who lives on the Upper East Side. And one of the sons in the family is accused of sexual assault. And it's a family saga. It's a crime story. It's There's a lot to talk about. We'll just say that. So that's what we've got for you today. If you would like more of us, please come join the Facebook group where we're always talking about books and more. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.